0: Capital Market Insights from ICMA.
1: Welcome to the ICMA podcast. My name is Mushtaq Kapasi, and I'm ICMA's Chief Representative for Asia Pacific, based in Hong Kong. Today, we'll be talking about environmental disclosure and impact reporting with CDP, one of the most experienced and technical firms in this space. And I'm delighted to have as our guest today, Pratima Divki, Regional Director of CDP for Hong Kong. She works closely with corporates, investors, and cities and governments in their efforts to measure and manage environmental impact. And we'll be hearing more about her wide range of work in the area. Pratima, welcome.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So let's get right into the questions. So many of our listeners involved in sustainability will be well aware of CDP as a global environmental disclosure system. But for those who may be less familiar, could you just give a brief introduction to what CDP does and a little bit of your history, perhaps, as well? How do you see your role in the global economy? And for the benefit of our audience, what do you see as your role in the international capital markets?
0: For CDP, I think if you would just sort of to really condense it in two sentences i would say cdp works in the sphere of environmental best practice and how we do that is you know for the past two decades we have been engaging with corporates financial institutions policymakers and subnational governments in three key areas the first is really with collection of data and that is really just getting the real economy the financial sector and subnational governments to respond on their greenhouse gas inventories and their operational and strategy plans in developing climate vulnerabilities and and resiliency to their climate vulnerabilities. Besides climate change, we also ask them to respond on their deforestation and forest water related practices. And this is because these factors, forest and water, the impacts on that either influence climate change or they get influenced by climate change. The way we collect this data is very simple. We have a standardized questionnaire format this format is fully aligned with the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or what is called as the TCFD framework. And this standardization really aims to ensure that every entity responds to the same questions, which then makes it much easier for the users of this data to then benchmark, develop an understanding of year and year progress, as well as trend lines on climate and environmental corporate strategies. So overall, today I would say we have over 10,000 organizations globally that respond to our platform, and Asia Pacific, you know, roughly makes up about 30% of this disclosure, a little over 3,000 companies. The second area that we work in is really the, the use of this data, right? I mean, how is this data actually being used? And what we do is for the financial institutions that endorse our platform. We provide them with this data so they can work with their portfolio companies on financial assessments, implications of climate vulnerabilities, either by engaging these companies, monitoring these companies, using that information and investment due diligence, but also developing sustainable finance opportunity solutions and finding new areas to work with their clients and their portfolios. We also package this data for ESG data providers. Uh, And we know we can touch upon that a little later, as well as to develop new index with relation to climate and environment. And then we provide this data to policymakers so that they can get a sense of how are the real economy and the financial sector actually in line with their own goals for the Paris Agreement. Um, So that's sort of where the use of data comes in. And then the third area I would say is really On new research, especially with respect to decarbonization target setting, finding out how financial institutions can better work with this data in understanding implications at a portfolio level. CDP is a co founder of the Science Based Targets Initiative. So, that is working with methodologies with respect to decarbonization, as well as we're heavily involved in areas of capacity building. For example, we're working right now with the stock exchange of Thailand and uh, Indonesia to help the companies, listed companies in those markets, be better informed on TCFD and what that means. So these are just a few sort of examples of how we are involved in the market. I realize it's you know gone in a bit of a spiel, so I'll stop here.
1: No, that's quite a lot, and I mean you are doing quite a lot of work, so you're just trying to touch upon the various aspects. But I think that's that's actually very interesting because you not only collect the data, but you also apply it and you use it, and then we'll talk a little bit. Um, I'm curious about some of the, the research topics that you're involved in now. But you, you mentioned a couple of times TCFD. So of course, many in the market are now familiar with TCFD. They may not have been you know, three or four years ago. Can you go into a little bit more detail about how CDP and your questionnaire relates to C- TCFD? What is the relationship there? And what is the overlap? Or might there be some differences in, in coverage?
0: I think to answer that question, I might just provide some context as to why sure, and sure. how companies can actually Know, build their disclosure environment, if you will, and reporting environment. So uh, the, the way we kind of usually explain to corporates is the, the first block is of course financial accounting, right? Every company today responds on their financial metrics and accounting standard. And there's a general understanding of what accounting standards they need to adhere to. The second layer is ESG metrics that can be financially linked to enterprise value creation. And that is essentially where frameworks, such as the TCFD or the SASB come in. In that layer, that's essentially where CDP plays a role. Now, the TCFD framework, uh, it is a set of building blocks, You know how corporates can respond on financially relevant climate data. Now, what, what CDP has done is it's taken this framework and these recommendations, and it's developed specific questions. Around each of these recommendations, mm-hmm. so that every company has to respond to every single question. And the, the reason why that has actually happened is because it then allows us to provide this data to financial investors. It allows us to provide this data to policymakers. And then they get a very concise sense of what are the data gaps that you know, this company has? So what seems- is the stage of the climate strategy that it's yeah. at? What is the robustness of this data? Can we get a sense of comparability in terms of year-on-year targets, you know, to 2018, 2019, 2020, for example, you know, have they been actually able to meet their emission reduction targets? That's sort of what the the purpose of really standardizing this data. And the third area is, of course, getting industry-level and and geography-level insights. You know, one one of the things that actually surprised me as well was, you know, our data for 2020 actually showed that, Asia had the most number of companies globally to, you know, either have or plan to have internal carbon pricing mechanisms. Uh, you know, those are the kind of insights that we end up, you know, gleaning from the information that's, that's provided to us.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. So I'm, I'm just curious, though. So maybe this is a naive and cynical question, but from an Asian corporate's point of view, what are the motivations for spending the time and resource to, fill out the CDP questionnaire which obviously has I don't know how many questions it has I haven't seen it but but um <laughs> I'm sure it's 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 not um it's not something that can just be whipped out uh, very very quickly where does the incentive come from is it from the investors in the corporates is it from a general desire to have a sustainability policy that is promoted and that is clear to the outside world are there regulatory requirements I think one thing that we get from ICMA is we get a lot of questions about why, from a, from a company's perspective, why we should issue a green bond, for example, why we should have a green framework. And, um, and, and so sometimes these are difficult questions internally. So I'd like to hear a bit about your experience, especially from a regional point of view.
0: That is a great question. I think the, you know, the sort of genesis of how this disclosure data actually even came about is we went to financial institutions first and we said, would you like to receive this hmm. kind of data? Sure. and if you can can you just you know endorse the platform so what we do is we take that endorsement and we send it out to a list of you know the listed companies across identified stock exchanges and we say if you know these are the investors and banks and other financial institutions that have endorsed our platform are requesting this data if you identify any of these financial institutions as part of your investing or, or lending portfolio, then you should be responding. So that's sort of one area what we oh, I see. call I see. as the investor or the financing requesting authority. The second area, and this is probably where Asia really sort of comes in, is a lot of the multinationals, you know, actually came to us and said, look, we're already responding to this information to you know, the financial institutions that are requesting it through your platform. I think it's time to start gathering the information in a similar format from our suppliers and our supply chain. So we then get a very condensed sense of where this information is coming from.
1: Interesting. Okay. And
0: and typically, you know, if you have a a multinational asking its supply chain to respond, it will jump from 100 companies, 200 companies at a get-go. That kind of really helps boost up the entire data set, if you will.
1: I see. That's very helpful. So again, on the same theme, does CDP also, how does it line with different proposed or existing regulatory regimes for environmental disclosure? We're seeing a lot of action and a lot of talk about new regulatory regimes coming up and this kind of disclosure not just being interesting and useful, but potentially mandatory as well. So how are you involved in some of these uh, policy-making activities? Do you see a risk of fragmentation or do you see that most of the regulatory requirements that are going to be potentially implemented are generally consistent with existing industry standards uh, such as yours? Yeah, I mean, it's,
0: We've seen such a flurry of activity, haven't we? In-
1: yes, very recent, yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: I, <laughs> I think and it seems unstoppable. Sure. <laughs> I, think so. um, I think so. I think just going back to where CDP started, right? This was in sure. 2000.
1: Yeah, actually, you know? tell us a little bit about the back history. I'm curious about where you came from, because you've been around for a long time, far longer than sustainability has hit the mainstream. Let me put it that way.
0: It was essentially looking at you know how corporates were influencing or how their operations were influencing climate change and how were corporates actually developing resiliency within their operations to climate change but also how were they working towards reducing this level of impact that was basically the genesis of you know what CDP started working on and i think when we look at it from that standpoint to where it is today in terms of the disclosure environment. And it's, it's almost like taking a fringe concept and, and seeing it become mainstream
1: yeah,
0: or become mainstream mandatory very shortly, which was really sort of our North Star when we started out. And it's yeah. here. And so I think it's a moment of pride, if you will, on, on right. actually seeing that happen. And I think we, we certainly very much support the efforts. We are a strong proponent of mandatory reporting when it comes to climate and environmental factors we have been supporting the efforts of accounting standard boards such as the ifrs when they are developing their own climate you know financial disclosure standards cdp has been consulted by their technical working groups and we are providing our expertise in, and advice on the content so the question is what from here and the simple fact is we see the tcfp framework as A reporting floor if you will it's not a ceiling to environmental reporting you know it's it's just the starting point so we're going to continue to evolve and improve this disclosure system and see what is next in the ambition for what we term as decision useful data and what really sort of captures the impact that environmental factors have on corporate operations but also the impact that a corporate activity can have on the environment and so effectively right. we believe this disclosure system overall i mean it started and it's it's great that it's here but it's still very much in its early stages to capturing a true understanding of what is a sustainable net zero economy you know i think i think that understanding still needs to be built in
1: so would it be accurate to say that um the disclosure that you're um that you're generating the data that you're generating is really it's it's cutting two ways so it's not only the effects of climate change or climate risks on business operations but it's also the effect of business operations on the climate and on the environment
0: Absolutely. Just to put it very concisely, it's, it's from the viewpoint of climate resilience, hmm. you know what corporates are doing on their own operations with respect to climate resilience, and then how are they taking that journey to decarbonization. That's, oh. that's essentially the roadmap.
1: So you mentioned this moment of pride. The world has finally woken up to understand that sustainability is important. Maybe not everyone in the industry still agrees that this level of sustainable disclosure should be mandatory. We're not gonna get into that debate right now, but that's perhaps for another podcast. But now that we're at this point where I think it's fair to say that the majority of the market would agree that it's, it's worthwhile. This disclosure is worthwhile. And certainly that standards and disclosure are important. Now, the challenge then becomes, how do you actually get that information? How do you get reliable data? How do you get consistent data? So just in your experience, if you can maybe get into a bit more detail about Where do you see, especially in Asia, where do you see the biggest difficulties in getting accurate data in terms of your questionnaire? Where do you see corporates kind of struggling with it? And where do you see difficulties with kind of aggregating and telling a story with the information provided, either due to lack of consistency or or lack of precision?
0: The first thing that corporates in Asia, I think, need to come to an understanding is the TCFD framework and what the CDP sort of platform is built on. Those set of questions, they're not a reporting framework in and of itself. They are a tool to strategy development. If you take the TCFD today, it links to an enterprise risk management framework. You can can use that to develop your governance structures, your performance management structures, your business continuity plans, and your performance and and monitoring going forward. I think that's an area once that understanding comes through, then the next challenge is how do you kind of work on, you know, actually developing that to do a, a document really that it, you can action upon going forward. And I think that's where I would say our data has shown that amongst Asia companies, Asia Pacific companies, two thirds of the companies have actually been able to identify impacts from a Physical asset standpoint and a transition standpoint, they're actually able to identify very well what the physical risks of climate change and, you know, extreme weather events, long-term weather change patterns, as well as transition risks, you know, policy changes, market perceptions, Mm. what that means to their business. I think the question is, they're not able to kind of put the actual level of financial impact and the ranges are fairly large. So, right. you know, let's right. take an example, the, let's take a mining company. You know, when they reported the data to us, they are already investing in carbon capture and, you know, storage technologies such as that, or what is commonly known as CCUS. And the reason they're doing that is because they're seeing the changes coming through and the requirements that are coming through from a policy perspective. But when they try to pin a price on, let's say, carbon pricing, you know the, the range is so wide you know you can get a range from 10 nice. to forty dollars for this decade and next decade on they put it like 50 nice. to 100 so you know these are vast differences and I think that understanding still needs to be built in uh, the second of course area that you know most companies kind of struggle with is scenario analysis I mean are we looking at right. you know what kind of analysis and and those can be very intensive to to develop and build as well so I would say these are probably the two areas that, a, you know, an understanding really needs to come in.
1: And I think actually that's a very interesting point because when you are trying to put inputs into these predictions, into these scenarios, you know, those can go out 5, 10, 15 years. They depend on human aspects. They depend on policy aspects. They depend on all sorts of factors that are not really easy to measure kind of in the present moment.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, that's really how we ask companies to also consider. And, you know, to add to your point, the technology may not exist or if it does, it may not actually meet what you're hoping it can meet in terms of your reduction targets. So if you have a plan to 2050, the easiest thing to do is try and break it down to the extent that you can to shorter, you know, five-year strategies, five to 10 year strategies. So it just gets that much easier to monitor and implement.
1: Now I want to get a little bit more technical. I, I think some of the points you've made about you know the CDP disclosure being more of a strategy tool, you know, than a kind of check-the-box compliance aspect or you know risk management tool. I think that's extremely interesting, and I, I want to you know let the audience kind of ponder that a little bit. But now I want to move into a bit more of the technical stuff. And I know you do a lot. A lot of the work you do is based on it's intended for investors, right? And allowing them to benchmark their portfolios, allowing them to kind of get a sort of a temperature reading of their portfolios and terms of its environmental impact. Can you go into a bit more detail about how that works? What's the methodology? How do you take your questionnaire, your data, turn that into an overall kind of portfolio, almost rating? And where are some of the methodological and data tricky bits in there?
0: From a financial institution perspective, the ones that endorse our platform, for the listed companies, we do provide them with the raw data because we believe you know this is something that they need to work directly with, with their portfolio mm-hmm. companies. Sure. The other aspect, you know, specifically to financial institutions, I suppose let's break it down to you know operational financial institutions, op- own operations, and then financial institutions financing activities. Because I think the TCFD where where that comes, it slightly differs from how you can apply that for financial sector versus the real economy. And For the financial institutions, what we did was in 2020, we launched our first questionnaire, which really kind of put the spotlight on financed emissions. And what financed emissions really means is very simple. For every dollar that you invest, you lend, you underwrite, what is the level of emissions that you are financing? And just trying to get that Mm -hmm. gathering of the the data, because that, that data globally today, there's no common understanding on it.
1: Let me just understand this because actually this sounds quite important. So what you're aiming to do is you're, able, you're aiming to be able to get to a point where you can look at a, an investor, a bank, a fund, and look at their portfolio, look at their look at the aggregate of what they're investing in, where they're investing money, dollars are going, and how much in terms of emissions that investment is generating, encouraging, I'm not really sure what the right verb is, but sparking, perhaps. And, and so then you'd actually be able to look at not only the emissions impact of a portfolio, but in theory, I suppose, the emissions per unit currency or the emissions intensity of a particular investment portfolio or strategy. Is, am I understanding that correctly?
0: Yes, that's, ab- that's absolutely correct. And you know, there's about, I think, a little over 330 financial institutions globally that, that responded to that questionnaire mm-hmm. that we built in 2020 and i think one of the things that we found out was you know only 25% of these financial institutions that reported to us the, the 300 out of them they were able to provide portfolio level emissions it's only 25% of that pool and i assume if you take the financial sector as a whole that that 25% would shrink quite rapidly yeah but amongst the ones and there may be also
1: people, some self selection in there right yes
0: yeah. and i think of the ones that did report on an average, what we found was their portfolio level emissions were about 700 times their operational emissions. Now, it's not really surprising because the scope three activity as we call it, you know, the financing activities are a much larger pool of, you know, operational emission activity. But I think this is the first time we kind of were able to arrive at a number as to Mm -hmm. how large the scale really
1: is. Just a technical question, if you don't mind, coming at it from a capital market perspective, when you look at investments, are you, from an investor's point of view, are you looking at equity investments, bond investments, loan investments? Are you looking at everything uh, across the the financing spectrum?
0: Yes. So basically fixed income, equities, and underwriting. So from an insurance perspective as well. So I think that's Mm -hmm. where we were trying to have financial institutions assess or you know, try and see whether they had an understanding of what the emissions were existing in their portfolios. Okay. Yeah. I think the second area that I just wanted to touch upon, you know, because you sure. talked about how financial institutions should be making sense of this data, right? right. And, and I think this is where there has been some activity in trying to kind of understand what we call as, you know, portfolio measurement tools with respect to emissions, so let's take an example, you know, let's say you have three companies and they're from the same sector and they've all provided emissions reductions targets. For a fund manager or, you know, any, any for a bank, for example, you know, how is the financer supposed to know whether these reduction targets are ambitious enough?
1: Yeah, this is a question we grapple with quite often. How do you set the right standard?
0: Yeah you know, just to continue with that example, let's take emission reduction targets up to 2025, you know, and let's say one company has said we have absolute emission targets of 30%. You know, another another one has said we have reduction targets 4% year on year. And there might be someone else who comes across and say something like, you know, 50% reduction targets per unit of revenue. Now a financial right. institution right. looking at all of this information How do you make sense of this information and put it in financial terms?
1: And which metric is most reliable and most correct and most in line with science-based targets or with Paris Agreement?
0: Absolutely. And so what we did was CDP worked with WWF and we developed what is called as a temperature ratings methodology. And what really it does is, you know, kind of address this question at a company level or at a portfolio level. And what we do is we, we gather all of this information and we run it through a model and we assign a specific temperature score which then shows how close you know a a specific company's target or how far away they are from global warming pathway and that sort of gets a sense of you know the ambitiousness of this target is it robust enough is it not robust enough you know what, what else is happening within that sector you know could you have these conversations and monitoring conversations and stewardship conversations with your portfolio companies. So I think that's sort of areas that we've been working on. And there's there's other areas like we have a, a tool called this climatrics, uh, which is you know the world's first and I think it's actually the only independent environmental rating for investment funds. These are some of the areas that we've been trying to work with the financial sector to really just make sense of all mm-hmm. of this climate data um, that, that is that is there in the system.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's not just a problem getting the right data, but once the data is there, you know, how do you analyze it? How do you compare it? How do you tell a story from it? Okay, well, we're almost out of time, but I have one final question for you, which is um, actually really a two-part question. So what's next for CDP? And two things I'm curious about in particular are, first, in terms of the content of the questionnaire, as sustainability becomes mainstream, as it becomes popular, as it becomes very important for policymakers, as the research and the technology improve, um, obviously thinking in the data available for sustainability is going to change as well and evolve. So what is CDP thinking about in terms of how the questionnaires is going to evolve? And secondly, at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned research. So what are some of the topics and the interesting questions that you're grappling with, perhaps at the forefront, at the vanguard of sustainability and finance today? You know,
0: there's so much to do in the space, right? You almost need to sort of there compartmentalize is. what is yes. the next thing <laughs> we need to do. And I think the focus very much still remains on the ability to gather environmental information in a manner that makes it useful for decisions and really kind of helps set, number one, the transparency, number two, you know the accountability of that level of data, and then number three, you know, within financial decision-making. I think those are sort of the tenets, if you will, of, you know, what CDP will continue to work on. I think in terms of what next, I would say it's quite likely that, you know, we will start expanding the sphere of where we want to work in terms of the next level of environmental disclosure. Can we, as I mentioned earlier, you know, can we get more companies responding on their water management? Water is something Hmm. that's, you know, the spotlight has been so much on climate, for example, not realizing that you know water security is is a proxy to climate change, and so can we can we bring that in, and can we get a better understanding on how companies are are managing a natural resource such as this? Is there a price to water? Is there a price to to forest risk commodities? And then the third is, of course, you know what are the new levels of benchmarks and baselines we need to you know put into action, you know, with respect to science based targets, you know, with respect to net zero. I mean there still needs to be a common understanding on what net zero means and the science-based targets initiative is is working towards setting the standard as of now. So I I think these are the three sort of areas that we'll continue to work on.
1: I can say from personal experience, there's still quite a lot of debate in the market about exactly what net zero means. (laughs) And and even for those who think they know what it means, there's some misconceptions. So a lot of work to do there. And I hope that you can contribute to it and look forward to seeing it. Well, thank you very, very much for spending your time with us, sharing your insights and your experiences. I hope that if anyone's interested, they can certainly go to your website, learn more and download some of your research as well.
0: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
1: All right. Thank you. And to our audience, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this ICMA podcast. We welcome your feedback on this episode, as well as suggestions for other topics for ICMA podcasts. Please also feel free to contact us. Our address is apac at icmagroup.org. That's A-P-A-C at I-C-M-A-G-R-O-U-P dot org. For any questions or ideas regarding our overall work in sustainability, we wish you good health and an excellent day ahead. Goodbye for now.
0: Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icmagroup.org.